Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Our coverage of Oscar nominees in the technical categories continues. And today we're talking about production design. Let's introduce our guests. First, Eve McCartney, production designer. Back in season nine of the podcast, we talked about your work on American Horror Stories, and your production design credits also include The Ballad of Lefty Brown and Into the Dark. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Next, Julie Drock, set decorator and first-time guest. You worked with Eve on American Horror Stories, and other noteworthy credits include Key and Peel and Dear White People. Glad you could join us. Hi, thanks. And in our final chair, lead man Carrie Weeks, frequent guest of the show, and your credits include the upcoming film, Leave the World Behind, and the Apple Plus TV series, Severance. Always a pleasure. Hey, it's good. Good to see you. Listeners, if you want to learn more about my guests, please look them up on the Internet Movie Database. Below the Line has a page, and if you start there, you can simply click through on their names and see their credits in the list. The five films recognized by the Academy for Production Design are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, Babylon, Elvis, and The Fablemans. We're going to discuss them in that order, and spoilers are possible, so consider this a warning. Once again, we like to recognize our below-the-line compatriots by name, even if it means I'm occasionally mispronouncing some of them. Apologies in advance. First up, All Quiet on the Western Front, production design by Christian M. Goldbeck, and set decoration by Ernestine Hipper. Now, I don't care who starts. You guys can... <laughs> choose amongst yourselves we can you know i'm happy to talk about this one julie please i thought it was beautiful absolutely beautiful the palette was so controlled and i think in these vast landscapes like watchers don't have any idea how much stuff goes into that like how all your set dressing all your pieces and parts just get eaten up in that landscape so there's so much work going there and i think that they did such a good job with textures like maintaining this controlled palette like the wood is raw and eaten and shot and all the dirt, the mud, everything. It was just absolutely beautiful. I also saw that it was maybe a $20 million movie, which is a little bit shocking. It seems like if they accomplished that with that budget, I think that's absolutely insane. This is one of my personal favorites in this category. I think if they gave an award for best mud, it would definitely go yes. to All Quiet on the Western Front. I was very impressed with the granular detail that they went into in the trenches it was just uh i wanted to freeze the frame and just check every inch of it and like you said it is so easy to in a set that size to just swallow stuff up and so it takes a an immense amount of material to have it look fully fleshed out and not like a, a set and they they really did that the amount of detail that they put into each of that is just really astounding. It all felt so full and rich. And then also to your point about Best Mud, I feel like this is one, like we all know that everything's such a collaborative effort in any kind of filmmaking, but this one in particular, I feel like special effects within the, the production design of the film, like that collaboration, I feel like it is so distinct in this film. Absolutely. Whenever you add water into a set, I think it's really challenging and they were in standing water. In, in several scenes. And I, I I had the same thought, Julie, of like, wow, they really had to collaborate on that. And I, I feel like you could really feel the despair of the characters on both sides. They did a really good job of that, making that come through. The designer was quoted as saying he wanted the people not only to see it, but to be able to smell the set, which I thought was really interesting. And I think they accomplished that 
with all the detail that they put into it and, and to your point, being down in those foxholes and those trenches, it was the, the type of wood they use, all the little accoutrement that existed because they were in those spaces, they were living in those spaces. The detail was just off the chart and 20 million, that's, I'm with you, Julie, that's incredible. That's mind boggling that they could do that. Worth a, a deeper dive. I tried to look at a few sites to see if that was real at all. And also that it was apparently shot in 55 days, but I shouldn't be quoted on that. That's what Wikipedia says. But okay. Yeah, it's well, pretty mind blowing. They were in Europe, right? So sometimes depending on where you shoot, your, your labor costs, a lot of your material costs can go down. Um, you know, I mean, they shot Elvis in Australia. I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but there's a big savings there from shooting in Tennessee. Yeah, I think they shot outside Prague, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Eastern Europe, yeah, that makes total sense. I also really appreciated, the, just to follow through on this a little bit more, the, the juxtaposition of the trenches and, and the front line. And then when they would pull back and the, and the beautiful spacious shots of the woods and the fields, the, the farming fields, and then the interior spaces of the political class, you know, the, the yeah. train car and the and that uh, chateau that the German general was set up in. It was really interesting too, the focus on food among the um, the political and ruling class. It showed a lot of eating there right. and how hu hungry the trench people were. So uh, props too was just the propping in, in that movie was really excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, the whole team was fantastic. Yeah. Delivered, yeah. We discussed this film on our episode about visual effects, and those guys quipped that uh, whether it was a visual effect or completely set decoration, the fact that the French trenches were much nicer than the German trenches. They had wine and just a little bit more. And I'm wondering if you guys also noticed that small detail or if there are other details of that nature that hopped out at you guys when you watched it. Now that you say it, I'm like, yes, I remember that now. And it's interesting to show the different class of the two people. I, I did notice that uh, they kind of made a point of showing that the French had more and better food, but everyone knows that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. The second film on our list is Avatar, The Way of Water. Production design by Dylan Cole and Ben Proctor and set decoration by Vanessa Cole. I find it so interesting, Avatar, because you're designing a lot of it in camera. And I know even on the first one, they talked a lot about the camera that Cameron built that they had to work with and they had a special visual effects designer doing that work and then they had to collaborate on the real elements and they have two designers again this year the palette is just so rich and vibrant it jumps off the screen at you it's almost neon it's so beautiful all the it must have been so fun to design in the in those bright vivid blues and pinks and purples and just it's so imaginative i saw some of their weaving research to create some of the bridges in, in the one community and uh, very inventive a lot of organic shapes Right? Things that were not, nothing was really square. They were all trapezoidal or had some sort of arc or curve to them. Very inspiring, very beautiful. And it must have been a huge undertaking to pull all of those worlds together into one film. Absolutely. I feel like I sort of have a penchant for things that are, are real life and tangible. So when I was thinking more about this film in terms of this conversation, I really had to remind myself to appreciate that everything was designed. It wasn't right. like, and then we'll grab a bunch of horses and then they could be riding horses. It's like, what does the animal look like? What does the flora and fauna look like? Like everything is ground up, designed, 
And the creativity behind that is so massive. And their team was massive. Just looking at that ADG presentation, like the end where they kind of list everybody. I mean, just so much work and so much artistry in it. I have no concept of where, like what's practical and then what becomes effects. Like, and I read an article where they were like, they not only had to build things, they had to build things in different forms, like different scales. And even for them, it was like, a process of learning and figuring out like what exactly you need for what. And I think, I think the whole process is fascinating, but it's also striking. I mean, it's really beautiful to watch. Yeah. I, I was blown away by it and, and really pulled into it as well. Aside from the sort of weak and basic storyline, the, <laughs> the world, I, I wanted to go there so bad. I wanted, you know, I, it was all I could do to, uh, not try and book a, a week-long stay there uh, <laughs> when I got out of the movies. Yeah, and I also really was very impressed with the merging of the whole underwater part when the ship was going down and they're trapped underwater. All of that was just uh, incredible, and it had to be incredibly difficult to pull off, and it was really seamless between all the CGI and, and that. So, uh, yeah, it was a totally immersive experience and quite incredible. And not just the like the worlds that we know are imaginary, like your underwater world or your villages and like these crazy mangrovey roots or whatever, but even their like human earth, like lab interiors, like the place where they store all the bodies, like those are beautiful. And those are, I mean, you know, are predominantly practical sets, but like right. just yeah. also incredible design in the earthy real world aspect as well. Yeah, it felt very cohesive altogether. Like everything same level of ingenuity and design and thought seamless is the perfect word for that film i love the uh the mangrove the giant enormous yeah, the mangrove village yeah. yeah i thought that was, was very cool. clever where they would take uh you know real earth items and but then sort of meld them or or morph them into the, the i don't recall the name of the world that they were on but they took like something ordinary and made it fantastical by playing scale, right? Exactly. And yeah. Creating a community within that, it was really smart. Which yeah. is really very effective too, because it 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 feels um, not completely alien, but very foreign. Right. Totally. I think that helps pull uh, me as an audience member. It it made it very relatable, but at the same time, incredibly exciting and new. I think that's what you have to do when you're in fantasy. I think you want some level of familiarity so you don't feel completely detached from it. You know, you kind of need to feel a little related to it in some way. So I, I, the mangroves was, yeah, really brilliant, really, really good idea there. I remember we talked a bit about that last year in Dune, mm-hmm. um, where Dune used a lot of earthbound objects, books, furniture or whatever, but in a different context, in a different setting. And it it just pushed it into that alien or foreign realm, mm-hmm. but not completely, uh, like you said, it, it was something that you can relate to. Yeah. I think that really helps when you're telling those kind of stories. It can also be fun to push the limit all the way, I guess, but um, I always relate the most ones that seem a little familiar somehow. I mean, when do you completely push the limit. I mean, I guess that's sort of based on the story. Uh, you know, at some point you do want to maybe in contrast show something completely alien. I feel like Star Wars, like the original one might've done that a bit for that time. You, you know, that cantina and 
the ships. And I mean, you know, maybe there were some things it was inspired by something, but it was pretty out there for the time. And, and it was, you know, wildly successful. I remember watching it as a kid and just, it was amazing, you know? So I think there are times when you can do that and you'll succeed, but I find more often than not that I'm as a designer, I'll take inspiration from what's around me and change that into something just like the mangrove fruit, right? It exists here. But I think it is fun if, if you have the ingenuity to come up with something that we've never seen before that I think that can be a lot of fun too. I want to dive a little deeper into that relation between practical design and the virtual design. Julie, you mentioned it explicitly. And I have to admit that when I saw this list of films, I also had a bias against this film in the sense that it seems to be more generated in a way that would be easier in some levels. But in doing some research, I was reminded that the original film won in this category. Yes. How do they make the case for a film like this compared to some of the others on our list? I think it's that everything is designed. The realm of design in a film like this isn't like we have this set and we have this time period and we have this whatever. It's so expansive. It's the vehicles. It's an entirely new world. And that was just like you. I also had the bias. And then when I thought about it a little bit harder, just really in terms of this conversation is what made me really think about it harder. I was like, maybe this is the winner. Like there's everything ground up design like imagine having to design whatever your plant looks like right you know like those things that we take for granted or we're like oh we'll just go get some greenery for this area and then we'll go get like have the fancy drape made like these things that are important and design choices or like we'll do this kind of architecture or, or whatever like not I'm not taking those things for granted but everything is designed and I think that that makes a great case and actually in thinking about it I kind of I think it might win I definitely think it's got a good shot. I mean, it's just, it's the same. My fiance said, why is that? Like, it's all CG, you know? And I was like, it's not. I said the same exact thing you said, Julie, I'm not going to reiterate it. And he went, oh, I didn't think about it like that. So I think there is that notion that a lot of people share that this is, it's just made in a computer, but it's not pulled from some stock inventory of silhouettes or furniture whatever, some sort of library. It's every single thing, every single piece. So yeah, it's a huge vision of an entire world. And to to make it all make sense with all those different environments, real and in that world and underwater, takes a lot of thought and a lot of planning and a lot of coordination between departments. So I think, yeah, I think it's, it's epic. So much. So much. I mean, you compare it to, and like, Look, I thought Fablemans looked great. But when when I look at the presentation for Avatar and then I look at the presentation for Fablemans, I'm like, big deal a little bit. Because it's, you know, it's his childhood home and and it's period and it's gorgeous and the wallpaper, you know, we'll get into that. But you think about the scale. What's funny is Fablemans is Rick Carter. So he won the Oscar for the first Avatar because he was the production designer of Avatar. He's super talented. But it's just funny. The scale is very much in play. Really, Avatar versus any of these. The amount of prep time and and shooting and and everything else, I'm sure, was three times as much as any of these other shows. Um, Yeah, so I think it's a real contender in this category this year, for sure. In terms of scope, I did read an interview with the designers of Avatar and they asked them like what the what their reaction was seeing the movie and like how that made them feel and both of them were like I just can't believe we did that you know like oh my god like that was so much work like I can't believe that that came together 
I kind of marveled at that because I feel like when you watch something like this, you're like, they're pros, like they got this, like, you know, but it's still even for them, like an incredible feat. I think it's easy to take it for granted because we see so much CGI generated stuff in uh, video games and everywhere else or even TV commercials. And there is kind of a sense that there's very little effort behind it. But as you guys have pointed out, every single item, there's a choice, there's a decision, there's design behind it. And it's interesting when you create a unique universe, it, it leads to that uh, in, in doing severance. You know, there's the, what we call the Lumen universe. Everything has to be filtered through, well, would this be in the Lumen universe? How would this item look in the Lumen universe? And so there's a lot of thought and a lot of forethought that goes into every every choice. I just wish the story had been better. <laughs> yeah, maybe the next one. What is an aspect of these episodes that even a film that maybe I didn't enjoy for whatever reason, breaking it down into specifics of the nomination is always really educational. And with that in mind, let me bring your sense of design to the third film on our list, Babylon. Production design by Florentia Martin and set decoration, Anthony Carlino. I didn't see this one, so I'm going to have to set this out. I just did. I watched it for this podcast and um, it starts with a bang. The beginning is really beautiful. The first set, the first, well, obviously they start in the exterior, but um, when you go into Wallach's party, it's insane. It's madness. Why I was watching this movie, I was like a, a little bit jealous just in terms of how much fun it would have been to research this time period. And it's like old Hollywood. All the sets were beautiful. Another favorite of mine was the uh, kinescope stages. Yeah. They were all exterior I had no idea that that existed. It makes a lot of sense now, like when films were silent and you need sunlight, lots of light, like you make these stages outside, but they had put them all, like all these strange sets right next to each other. Like on this one, we're shooting a bar on this one. It's some like jungle thing. And on this one, and they're all just right next to each other. And I thought they did a really beautiful job with that. Um, yeah, it was a really, really fun to watch. They built part of that exterior, the Don Wallachs. They built a partial exterior and then did like a VFX extension on that. That whole opening sequence was probably the biggest builds of the show, right? And it was done beautifully. Um, they really dug into the research there. And um, I love the jewel tone palette. It's very lush and rich and it's all, all the things, old Hollywood. And then you've got those desert landscapes where it's very dusty, you know, and a bit more browns and tans. I think the biggest thing for Babylon is the research that it took because I was looking at the research and I was looking at the stage sets that they did and they're dead on. It's exactly that. So, you know, replicating that in that way takes a lot of effort and detail and coordination, just like all the other other films we're talking about. And then the, the multiple time periods showing the evolution of, of the business. I thought it was really beautiful. I wasn't a big fan of the film itself, but um, it looked great. That's kind of speaking to your point, Skid, that like in terms of this conversation or whatever, or even in terms of our own crafts or like what we work in or even on, sometimes like you do separate your enjoyment of the story itself versus like the artistry in this other specific arena. I mean, I feel like I do that with things that I'm employed yeah. on sometimes also like can still be really proud of that, even though you're like, oh, I don't know, that script was interesting, you know, but I think, yeah, same as Eve, I feel the same way. <laughs> So you think from a production design perspective, the claims that this film has is the scale and scope of some of these sets and the detail of the history periods and the multiple periods involved in that. Yes. Yeah. 
with a period film like that, you know, the most important thing is getting it right. And sometimes you don't have as, as much room to create because you're beholden to what it was. But I think they played with color. I, th- I think they had a lot of fun. I think they found ways to do that. At least that's my sense having seen it. But, you know, when I did the Western I did, I had, it was, this is what they had. These things were not invented yet. The train hadn't made, made it that far west yet. And, and we had to exist within those boundaries. And you find little ways to be creative, but it, it is a bit more limiting than something like Avatar where sky's the limit and you can really dream. I think that's why that one sticks out so much in this field, because it's the one that was able to do that. And all the rest are period pieces. I think also in terms of like them having to stick to the time period, one thing that I did appreciate in this is that like, there's definitely the like early heyday Hollywood lushness, like of the opening party scene. And then there's the like Hollywood's a new vast desert landscape, not a lot of development yet. But then there's also like a grittiness to like some of the other sets that I really appreciated, like Margot Robbie's. Yeah, her apartment. Yeah. And it was like kind of just down and dirty. And you kind of saw that juxtaposition. And maybe that is like very true to the time. But I I liked, I think a lot of people will tend to like, just make something pretty. Let's just make it pretty. But I really like that they went gritty with some of those sets too. It was almost like a tenement. Yeah. Do you find that a lot of period films get nominated just because they're period? Yeah, (laughs) I think that, yes, maybe. But I also feel like inherently when you're doing something that people aren't seeing every day and you can't just like go get it or go just like order it with ease. And and you know that it involves more like thought and research. Like, I think that that goes into that choice, but also, yes, somewhat. Yeah, Eve, I I liked what you said earlier because I, I remember a couple of years ago, was News of the World was nominated mm-hmm. in production design. And it, it was a, a beautiful movie and it was very spare as it had to be because there's not a lot to work with. Uh, but I, I wonder, as a designer, as a decorator, do you find that not as much as enticing or as interesting? Or is it just the challenge of, I mean, it almost seems like paint by numbers in a way. Am I off in that? Or? No, I, I think it can be. I think it depend depends on the story, right? And and how much yeah. how much you have. I, I really enjoy doing period pieces, but what I've found lately and, and through the, the series I just did with Julie, I was able to do kind of a mashup where it was period, but then it almost had like a fantastical element because it's not rooted in reality, it's fiction. I don't know if I mentioned, but Julie and I worked on American Horror Stories together. And in our first episode of the second season, Dollhouse, we did this like Alice in Wonderland style thing. It's period 1960s. The house is a 1920s Victorian. We built the bedroom. I made it octagonal. So we were just playing with scale and all these things. So I wasn't, I was beholden to like, this is the type of telephone, right? Or Julie, like that we need in this space. These wallpapers are period that makes sense in that period and the furniture and decor. But then we did a lot of stuff within that that didn't really necessarily exactly fit it, but fit the story and what we were trying to do with the story. So I find that's a, for me personally, as an artist, that's a much more exciting place to play because I can create, I can dream a little and, and kind of go outside of the box. And that's kind of the case of that series as a whole, you're not really limited. So I think it'd be hard for me to now go do a historical fiction piece. That's just straight historical nonfiction or fiction, 
because you're, that's it. You're like, this is what you're doing and this is what it looked like. And this is what it needs to look like. And you'll have very few opportunities to dream outside of that. It does take a lot of work and it is hard and, and it takes talent um, and everything else to pull a period piece off. But I like, I, I like when it's like some sort of mashup or hybrid where it's period and horror period and sci-fi, you know, what, whatever that is, there's a new Apple series coming out. I think that's a, it's about Lincoln, but it's thriller or something. And I'm like, that sounds cool. You know, cause maybe there, maybe it doesn't have to be exactly accurate. I don't know. Like Abraham Lincoln, vampire honey was another one that I thought. Right. Was really <laughs> I think character gives a lot of opportunity. I know as a set dresser, I love it when I can really know the character and, and help bring that the space that the character inhabits to life. So, oh, um, and so no matter what period it's in, you know, hopefully the character will have an impact on the space, on the environment. Yeah. It's that final layer. Julie's excellent at the, that final layer that it just makes all the difference. We've all been in yeah. the sets that don't have it and it feels like a set. It doesn't feel real or rooted in reality or tied to anybody in particular. But when you add in that last layer, that's what really sells it. And to your point, you can play in that realm but that's more in her camp than my camp right yeah. so that's down to you guys it's <laughs> my favorite part and that's when it becomes the most frustrating when you're doing a, a ser series i know we're talking about movies here but um i've done a lot of the tv and so often we're cut short on that last layering that that really would send it home and right. it's yeah. frustrating and so it's so gratifying when when you work on a project where you actually have the time and the resources to to get those last layers and details in that julie managed to do it on our show i don't know how she did it because we were so up against it with time we were anthology so every single one was different and we had three period episodes i want she got the 1960s one and then we did a 1700s colonial episode that was called milkmaids and she had to, she had to do that prep that in like three weeks um, i think i was sweating a lot all the time, all the time. you were <laughs> one day when so... i'm like your bangs are just like plastic <laughs> I, was like, I don't care she's like i can't um, look but... at any more mirrors because <laughs> we had like no. period mirrors and bloody mary like there was a lot and you're really limited on time in tv that's that's the thing right like these that's films they probably didn't have enough time. Nobody has enough time. Anymore. No, there's never enough time. The ask is too much for the time always, but they had more time than we have in TV for sure to really think these things out. But yeah, Julie killed it. I don't know. It was amazing. The fourth film on our list is Elvis. Production design by Catherine Martin and Karen Murphy. Set decoration by Bev Dunn. So, you know, we get our presentations with the ADG and I always love to see their everybody's process that helps me decide who to vote for. Um, and in there, they talked about how they delved into his life for 18 months. They came to Tennessee and traveled and saw his houses, the apartment where he lived, whatever was still standing. And they were able to actually go to um, Graceland and see his clothing and all the various things that they've collected that just gave them a sense of, of who he was as a person and his environments. And then they built that into the design, which I thought was excellent to hear. I think it's so rare. You have the opportunity to do that kind of deep dive research. And it's almost like a forensic research at that level. It's almost like a crime scene. You know, you're looking at 
every little detail and then you're you're putting that into the design and i thought it was really beautiful i thought they they nailed it it's everything they did was so spot on for when you when you look at the research and then you look at what what they created so going back to our last conversation about period pieces and just kind of like kind of replicating something that was or not really being able to take it to a next new level or i think that they did that in this everything is beautiful Everything is stunning. The Beale Street, I mean, Catherine Martin is a genius. I have to say, like, and obviously as well as Karen Murphy and Beverly Dunn, but everything is so beautiful and so luscious. And I don't doubt that they did Graceland almost to the T, right? Or that two blow scenes were were based on like real research, but every set was so full and so rich and vibrant, but also so believable. But I think that they took the historical aspects of a lot of these sets and then one-upped it. And made it sort of their own thing. I mean, it was stunning. This is what I would pick to win. Yeah. The carnival stuff, that house of mirrors, all the graphics, it's insane. It's it's so much work. And it's just so good. And again, they created an entire universe, even though it was historically accurate and historically true. Like you said, they they took it up in a couple notches, not just one, but but several. It was yeah. it really, it was a beautiful film. I kind of had a visceral reaction to the movie though, and I couldn't finish it. And maybe I should go back and give it another shot. It was uh, the first movie out of this collection that I saw. I don't know. I really had a hard time with, with the depiction. And that kind of took me out of looking at the sets and pulling me into the whole story of it and the, and the production design. I had a similar experience the first time I watched it. I did finish it though, but there was something about like the energy was so frenetic in it. It was like borderline seizure inducing. I was like, I just, I, I can't. And I also originally had trouble, a little bit of trouble with believing Tom Hanks in that character. He's just like so well-known and so beloved and he does a great job, but I was like, but that's Tom Hanks. He said that and that was kind of pulling me out <laughs> initially, but I definitely had remembered how beautiful it was. And then I, I watched it again recently and the second viewing, it was much more palatable. And I enjoyed it a lot more. It's so interesting. I mean, all her work, you know, Gatsby and all her collaborations with her husband are just sumptuous. They're just delicious to look at, you know, it's yes. like for the eyes. And, um, and, and to your point, Julie, it's like, they did take the historical, they took all that and they built it in there. And then they built on that in a way that not every film can do, I think. And I think that they were very creative um, and the palette was just stunning i mean all the colors were so rich did it pull you out of it at all were you ever like so taken in by the a little bit like the frenetic energy for sure like you know i i felt the same way and but i meant the production design did the oh because the design was so sumptuous in the and the sets or in the palettes are so rich did that ever like distance you from the story a little bit yeah, I was looking at them a little more than paying attention to <laughs> to the to the characters, which doesn't happen often. Yeah, it was it was it's just gorgeous. I mean, I remember when I saw Gatsby too. I was just like, my mouth was on the floor. So they didn't disappoint with this, and they you know two years they were prepping this for two years, and really, I mean, to have that, that kind of time to to get into a story and to build the world and to build the story is incredible. So and they did a fantastic job. And the cars, right? The cars were a big part Yeah, for him and, and the world. And so in that point, they were very selective with the cars. They built Beale Street, right? They built the facade and then they did the VFX extension. 
and to recreate that from nothing is uh, it's pretty insane and for it to look the way it did and just feel so rooted in reality and so so real yeah. Yeah. Bill Street was amazing. It makes me w wonder sometimes. I mean, I, this happens more often than not, where I think the, the production design actually upstages the, the story and the actors almost seems like something that uh, producers should should consider. Is your story, is your script up to the, the production design team that you have in place? Because if well, not, at that point, you're into it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a little too late, I guess. I also feel like you got what you got. Everything that Baz Luhrmann does is like intense on every level, right? Like the shots are always moving. The costumes are heightened. The production design is heightened. The editing is heightened. Like everything I feel like he does is so heightened. Right. So it, it kind of feels on, on par with his aesthetic that everything is, yeah, everything's yeah. a little overwhelming. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And they must just live it when they're on, I mean, cause they're a couple, right? So they, they yeah. have to be like eat and sleep and dreaming and like, it just must be their world for that period of time. That's it. This is what they're doing. And um, I, that's so intense, you know, it obviously is very successful, but I think that would be really intense if I had to exist in that bubble the entire I was kind of thinking about that in terms of obviously they're an insanely creative powerhouse couple but in terms of like and don't misunderstand the statement but like what kind of advantage she gets as a designer like being in the story from the get-go and seeing everything right. from the get-go as opposed to be like we'll start her six months out or like eight months or whatever right. like she's living in it from the birth of, of the concept right which I think is really interesting and probably why she can double department head on such grand scale because she's also the costume designer she's also nominated for costume design we'll be talking yeah. about her again on the next episode overlapping production design and costume design i don't know that i've ever else seen it and i'm curious what your thoughts are about one person wearing both of those hats i initially and like going back to earlier nominations of her and her being nominated for both my initial reaction was like uh-uh like no no fair in, in the thick of production, like, how do you do both of those? Every costume designer I know is always busy, drowning, always just so deep in it, you know, 20 hours a day or whatever, even if it's just in their brain and they're not at work. And same with every production designer. So, like, how do you do both? But I think that it kind of goes back to her being in it at such an early stage and probably conceptualizing things well before anybody else is even really starting that makes her deserve those credits. But to that point, I was really happy to see her share a production line credit on this film. So there's a second, uh, Karen Murphy, I think. I think the scale was too big. Yeah. For her to honestly, even, even being in that early Gadsby, she had an assistant production designer that I think probably oversaw when things got crazy, but that was a lot more contained, not completely contained, but compared to Elvis, a lot more contained. And that, so maybe she didn't need as much support, but yeah. I could I, I look at that and I'm like, I don't know how you do both. I, I don't even know how you do the one job. You know, it's like I know how you do it, but it it takes a lot. It takes a lot. Um, but I think you're right, Julie. I think being in ahead of time, thinking about it for months and months and months before things are actually happening and having ideas on the costumes and, and the sets is it probably gets her really far ahead. And then decision making is probably uh there's a shortcut there to get totally decisions. Like I like it, I don't yes. like it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I'll ask him when I get home or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. What do you think of this? All right. Good night, dear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, the final film on our list is The Fablemans, production designed by Rick Carter, set decoration by Karen O'Hara. I, I, I got a big yawn out of this production design. And it's maybe that's a little harsh. It was, and, and my wife pointed out, she says, well, I, I said, it looks like sets. Everything looked like a movie set. And she says, yeah, no, I think that was intentional. It was supposed to look like a movie set. I was like, oh, all right. They they succeeded, but I, I don't think that deserves much notice in terms of a nomination or, or a win. It's hard in this with with all these other contenders. Um, I kind of watching it, I felt the same way. I was like, but it felt like it was all purposeful and yes. exactly as it should be. Yes. I imagine. And again, like a lot of research into time period and I'm sure a lot of attention to detail, but also kind of when you put it next to Elvis or Avatar, you're, you're just like, it's really nice. Like they did a wonderful job and they're obviously incredibly skilled and have a like long history of accolades and both Rick Carter and Karen O'Hara but yeah it just it's it's a quieter film and the design is quieter and I think that in this set of nominees it's it's the quieter option I guess (laughs) yeah it feels um like I liked all the textures like the wallpapers and the curtains and the rugs and um the fabrics everything was on point for the period and it felt right and it did feel intentionally steady but it was a bit of a yawn I I completely agree with you Carrie like it just it's sentimental and it's sweet and the performances were good and and I I get that it's you know Spielberg's story but it it doesn't really feel up to the level of these other four as far as scope and scale and design totally it just it just feels like yeah that's what that should look like it didn't kind of inspire me in any other way and rick carter's you know he's a genius he's fantastic but yeah it's like i i guess i kind of wondered is this nominated because it's rick carter and spielberg if these were if it was the two other filmmakers would 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 this be on the list right yeah I really like the prop. So I was yeah. <laughs> totally enamored with the movie camera coming out of the box and, and all that. I thought, oh, that was uh, really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's no small feat. Any any of it, I think, is it's sure. no small feat. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. But kind of back to what Carrie was saying earlier, like, do you think some things get nominated just because they're period? And this might be a case where I'm like, oh, Maybe. Or saying just as you said, because of of who who made it, who did it, yeah. Yeah. I was talking about this the other day. Uh, the awards season, it just you know, there's there's a lot of campaigning going on. There's a lot of there's you know the films with the most money that do a lot of press and they send out the screeners and they. I, I'm also getting these little booklets in the mail with promoting sets and things and and that's all fine and well, but and that's ADG, not Oscars, but. I I believe in merit base. I believe in this did it, this earned it, this is deserving to be nominated. And I, I think in like uh the period, it's nominated in the period category in the ADG, which makes sense to me because there's five nominees in that category. But with only five nominees overall for Oscars, like should Woman King have been in this bunch? You know, there there were other films, I think, on the radar that had a little more scope and scale. And maybe not the the pedigree, 
So I don't, I, I, it's hard to know the, how, what they were thinking when, when these nominations um, came down, but, and, and again, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good movie. It's, you know, well-designed um, it's a, as it should be. It's just, it, it's a very startling juxtaposition against the other four in the, in the race, I think. Yeah. Well, you like to give shout outs to films that didn't make the final list, but that you thought were noteworthy in 2022. Eve, you mentioned The Women King. Is there specific aspects of that that you thought it should be on this list that you want to call out? Again, it was kind of creating this world and there was just so much scope and scale and it was beautifully executed and done and beautifully shot and beautifully acted. And it just, it's all the things. And I, I saw that it was on the list that, you know, they had all the lists running of, of what might be on there. And, and I, I thought it had a really good shot. I was kind of surprised when it didn't make the cut. Julie, Carey, other films that uh, you thought were noteworthy last year? For me, it's Bardo, which I think should be nominated for everything. I think yeah. I'm so like kind of alone in that, in that, especially I just one of my favorite movies I saw last year. But um, I love production design was beautiful. And I thought the film was so great. I mean, it's like real life and so much surrealism all kind of coming together. And it's visually st- stunning. I'm sad I didn't see that one anywhere. It's on the cinematography list. Just kidding. Well, yeah, I guess I didn't see that. Look at that list. And it's up for an ADG, I'm pretty sure. I think it got some SDSA also, but I mean, I'm talking like best picture. I think it should be there. I also think it should be in this category. I think it got a little little shunned. Gary, how about you? Any other films? (sighs) The only thing that pops into my head for some reason is Emily the Criminal, which was a a small movie, uh, low budget, very delightful. Took place in L.A. and sort of showed a underside of L.A. in a nice way. Um, but I don't think it was worthy of being nominated. But that's the only thing I can recall that I off the top of my head right now. You know, Carrie, Liz Tunkel, the production designer on that, she was on the show to talk about Marcel the Shell with shoes on that she was also the production designer for. And I also enjoyed Emily the Criminal. She might be back. I'm going to tell her how much you liked it as well. And then we'll see if she doesn't come back and talk about it. This is Aubrey Plaza, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it. It was good. I liked it. Yeah, yeah it was It was good. All right. On that note, we're going to call it a wrap. Thanks so much for sharing your insights. It was really fun having you guys here today. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info at our website, below the line, one word, dot biz. That's B-I-Z. This is Oscar episode 7 of 10, so if you missed any, I hope you'll check them out before the Academy Awards ceremony on March 12th. And please subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. To all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line.